Wonderful to be here with you all. Thanks for having me. Um, <clears throat> you can turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Me telling you to jump right there stops me from being snarky about John Owen on my own. So, uh, And as you're turning there, um, I'd love for you to consider with me the question, what shapes your life? And I'm not talking about the weather, your job, your career, your family, your responsibilities. I'm asking the question, what shapes how you act, how you react, and how you interact? What I'm proposing is that in Romans 8, 1 through 4, Paul is giving us a walkthrough of how and why we can and must walk according to the Spirit instead of according to the flesh. Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let me pray briefly. Father, thanks for Your Word. Please speak to us from it. Help us to see the riches and the beauty of the fullness of Christ that we might grow, be strengthened in the new year, and walk according to your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the story is told, maybe apocryphal, but I've heard it a number of places, so we're just going to roll with it. The story is told about the early church father, Augustine, and if you're big on whether it's Augustine versus Augustine, I apologize in advance. Um, story goes like this. Augustine had returned to a town he'd once lived in, and he's walking down the street, and a former mistress sees him and begins to call out, Augustine, Augustine, do you remember me and the warmth that we shared? It is I. And Augustine, crossing to the other side of the path, calls back without looking, ah, but it's not I. That's Romans 8, 1 through 4. It is that level of life-changing transformation that Paul is putting out there in these simple sentences. Like Augustine, we should respond to all interactions in light of what Christ has done, not in light of what we have to offer. And that's his message to this church in Rome, right? The church in Rome at this time is increasingly coming under persecution. The writing is on the wall so to speak, that things are just going to get worse, not better in the coming years and decades. And in the midst of that, they're being forced to wrestle with, who are we going to be? How are we going to live? How will we endure? And Romans 8, 1 through 4 is that beautiful message that I think Paul gives in the midst of this letter so that they endure by faith in Christ. If I'm giving this message in one sentence, it's this. We must walk according to the Spirit because God has done in Christ what we couldn't do ourselves. This is kind of a back-to-basics chapel message today. I'd like to outline very briefly three points. In Christ, we're no longer under condemnation. In Christ, we're no longer under sin's power. And in Christ, we're no longer under our own record. That's the teaching of Romans 8, 1 through 4. In Christ, we're no longer 
under condemnation, you can look with me back at verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul's not kind of burying the lead on where this is going. He gives the conclusion from the start. This is the summary point. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this word condemnation, is, as many of you will know, it's a judicial word. It's talking about a legal verdict. You're guilty. But it's also talking about the weight of that sentence, the punishment that's sure to come. See, the bad news that's in the background here is that apart from Christ, everybody's condemned. That condemnation is sure. There's no avoiding it. So the words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is the most beautiful ringing of a bell you could ever hear, right? I could stand up here and repeat this sentence for 15 minutes, and that's probably what I should do so that these words sink in anew even now. It's not just guilty to not guilty. It's also the movement from under the burden, shame, strife, punishment, oncoming death to free, to removed, to light, to alive. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can think, if you've read the Pilgrim's Progress, you can think of the scene where Christian finally comes to the cross. He's got this giant burden, right? My, my kid's version of it that, uh, um, that I show makes make him look kind of like a cockroach or a snail, like the burden is so big. And he looks at the cross and it falls off and down a bottomless pit. And he cries, you've given me life because of your death. And that's the word of Romans 8, 1 through 4. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These aren't new words, but how do they reach you today? Right? Everybody in this room, I'm saying by faith, at some point has understood the removal of this condemnation. They felt the freedom of beholding Christ by faith and saying, Yes, I trust and will follow Him. But then we walk through daily life. And maybe we make the same mistake we've made a thousand times before. Maybe I got mad at my kid again. I disappointed my wife because I forgot to take out the trash. I'm saying the easy things, right? We also all have bigger things in our life. In the midst of that, are you picking pebbles back up? And is that now determining who you are? I've gone six weeks without versus, it's only been a day. And I made that mistake again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And let me offer the special warning and encouragement for students in the midst of this. I got asked three times last week when people found out I'd gone to seminary or I'm doing a PhD, oh, How'd you survive spiritually while you were there? The temptation is real to let the learning and the, the business of what we do cloud out the reality of the relationship with Christ. Don't let it happen in the midst of this. Verses 2 and 3, though, explain why he can give the conclusion at the start. In Christ, we're no longer under sin's power. Look again in verses 2 and 3. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. 
By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 1, there's no condemnation, this bold conclusion. And we're asking, how can that be the case? How can there be no condemnation for ones such as us? Verse 2 essentially says, apart from Christ, because of your sin, you're under the reign of sin and death. The word law here should be understood like gravity is a law. It yanks everybody, not the way speeding is a law, right? It's this power that reigns and governs over everybody outside of Christ, which is why the condemnation grows. It just gets bigger. But verse 2 boldly declares that you're freed from that law. And there's a new governing power within, the law of the spirit of life, which is a unique phrase within Paul. This is the only time he uses this phrase, the law of the spirit of life. And it's crucial. It's the idea that it no longer governs because the spirit is now at work within you. The spirit is now what reigns supreme. There's no condemnation because the spirit, not you, is in charge. However, this by itself doesn't add up to no condemnation, right? A new governing power doesn't take away what's been done, but a new governing power does change how one lives. Verse 3 then, apart from Christ, because of your sin, you have no recourse but to wait for condemnation. What can you do to remove the burden within? We all know it's not a set of scales I need to do enough good things to outweigh the rock on my back. That's not how actual life in Christ works. So it says in verse 3 that the God has done what the law couldn't do. It's real common in the New Testament to kick the law around and point out what it can't do. Let me say one positive thing about the law before I kick it around a little bit. Positively, we should rejoice at the giving of the law of Moses right? For the first time in the history of the world, they know this is what God wants from us. This is the way we should live. We have a stick to see how far short we fall and what it would look like to live to the standard. But the law can't bring you to salvation. The law can't give you the ability to obey. God has to do what the law couldn't do. That's the key distinction between the law and the gospel. Where the law makes demands, it doesn't give you the ability. The gospel makes demands, but gives you the ability to obey. In sending Christ, God has done what the law couldn't do. He's dealt with sin. And notice what gets condemned at the end of verse 3. Not us. Sin in the flesh. This beautiful replacement on the cross where Jesus, the innocent one, takes our weight, our burden, our condemnation, our sin on himself. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because a new governing power reigns and the condemnation has been removed by the cross and resurrection of Christ. That's the sense of verses 2 and 3. Freed from the law of sin and death, and sin is now condemned. Hey, that's the world we live in. You watch the news, it feels bleak sometimes. We live in a world with great darkness and great evil. That's why you're all in this room. Because you want to be ones who proclaim the light and the freedom in Christ. We also live in a world where Jesus has come. 
The resurrection is sure. He's ascended at the right hand of the throne of God and His Spirit is available by faith in Him today. In Christ, we're no longer under sin's power. And lastly, in Christ, we're no longer under our own record because verses 2 and 3 really just remove all the wrong. But a blank slate doesn't equal no condemnation. You can still be condemned for not having done what you should have done. Just being not guilty isn't no condemnation. Verse 4, mid-sentence, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the result. This is the purpose statement, right? If I was giving a quiz over subjunctives, this is a subjunctive of purpose, <laughs> right? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. And that might, as I'll remind you, it's not a, ooh, I hope this happens for me. I hope I'm a class A Christian in which this righteous requirement is fulfilled. No, it's the purpose for which Christ came. He earned a righteousness that's given and received by faith. There's therefore now no condemnation because you're not under your record. You stand with Christ's record. And realistically, in faith, by faith, whether you feel like it or not. So if you're walking around picking up pebbles, that doesn't change the judicial verdict and the removal of condemnation. It doesn't remove the spirit from within you. You're just pretending to be somebody you're not because who you are is in Christ, rooted, grounded, and given the righteous requirement of the law. And since I picked on the law in verse 2, this law isn't like gravity. This law is like speeding. This is the moral law of God, wherein the standard of perfect righteousness is given. Jesus came to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Verses 2 and 3 give us the reasons for the conclusion. Verse 4 balances it. It's not just the removal of the negative. It's the giving of all that could be required of you in Christ. You know, Matthew 22 and Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable. He talks about a coming wedding feast and he sends out invitations who will come. And he's looking to fill the room and he's kind of getting close to the wedding time and the room's not full. And so he turns to the servants, the attendants, and he says, just, just go to the streets, get whoever you can, bring, bring them in, bring them in, fill this place. And the beautiful part of that is that in those parables, each of them is clothed with the robes that they need for the wedding. He doesn't just call you in so that he can sit you in a corner and leave you looking dirty off the road. He calls us in so he can clothe you with his righteousness and you can be fitted to the occasion, which is union with Christ in the fullness of all that means. That's what Paul's saying here. These are simple verses. And really, this is the start of Romans 8 that leads to this beautiful crescendo. If He's given us His Son, what would He keep from us? Though everything will fall apart, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the point of ongoing Romans 8. But Romans 8, 1 through 4 is about who you now are. If I was to ask, what are you capable of? What could God use you for in this new year? finishing a degree, taking more classes, what can God do? Part of how you should answer that is, well, 
in Christ, God can do whatever He wants to do because the Spirit is the governing power and the record is His, not mine. So what I'm capable of is anything God wants to do through me in Christ. Let me wrap up in this way. This is about walking according to the Spirit. And that's not a set of rules and guidelines. That's walking in light of what the Spirit has done. And what the Spirit has done is the work of Christ on our behalf. In Christ, we live in the new reality of no condemnation, the new potential of the Spirit working within us where the punishment has been dealt with and the new identity, that of the spotless Lamb of God who's obeyed on our behalf. There's nothing left to prove. There's nothing left to do but walk by faith in Christ. Let me pray. Father, thanks for your word. Um, Father, it, it is. These are, these are the basics of what you've done for us in Christ. But would you continue to cement and bedrock these things into our hearts and lives? Would this be what shapes how we act, how we react in the midst of the day, and how we interact with those around us, both by faith seeing who everyone is in Christ or apart from Christ and their need uh, to come to Jesus by faith. Thank you for this group. Pray that you continue to strengthen and encourage each one here. In Jesus' name, amen.